0: This is a special episode of Toray Show featuring a woman of bravery, character, and intelligence. And a woman who's gone through unspeakable trauma. And a woman who's been liberated and venerated and lifted, but is still in pain. Lily Bernard is a visual artist and an actress and a writer who appeared on The Cosby Show and Seinfeld and The Golden Years. She was drugged and raped by bill cosby three times the crimes are beyond the statute of limitations now but she was part of the campaign that changed those laws in california and now there is no statute of limitations for rape in the state of california after cosby's guilty verdict i reached out to bernard and we ended up having a conversation that blew my mind she's not a victim she's a survivor and she's very powerful and she's really thoughtful about all of this and all that happened to her. I didn't cut anything out of this conversation because I think it's an important newsworthy conversation that takes us deeper into what it means to be inside the Cosby nightmare. This is Lily Bernard on Touré Show. So how do you feel now? Post-verdict, do you feel... I don't know. How do you feel?
1: I feel elated and empowered.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Do you feel affirmed in some way?
1: I do. I feel affirmed and vindicated. It's a good feeling to be believed.
0: Does it give you... I mean, you said it makes you feel empowered. Mm. How, how so?
1: How so? It's kind of, like, elevated me to this place of fearlessness. Mm -hmm. A lot of, wow, there's been a tremendous rise in black people attacking me in person and online, and I don't know, I just feel like I've got this shield of truth around me, you know, that's been proven in a court of law. Actually, that's been proven by Bill Cosby's own words under oath, but, you know, 12... Peers of 12, what is it? What is it called? A jury of his peers. Yeah, a jury of his peers.
0: You've seen a rise in attacks from black people?
1: Oh, yeah. Big time. Painful. Like what? (laughs) Like what? Inside Edition caught one. You know, it it stems, I think it's like all part of Bill Cosby's nefarious tentacles. It stems from uh, what happened within the courtroom. There were these orchestrated Cosby shills whom I would not doubt were being paid by Bill Cosby to bully and harass me and some of the other Cosby survivors and uh, sometimes the um, bullying was actually physical and uh, so there was one gentleman, man, who was maybe six foot four and 320 pounds who accosted me with all sorts of insults and calling me a liar and words that I can't repeat and he came at me f- physically you know that so much that uh, Caroline Heldman my friend who is with me and actually detective Mike Shade had to come in between this guy and me and tell him to back off so i feel like you know i've got um this armor of vindication around me and i'm like you know come at me and I, and I, and also you know i f- i feel empathy for these people who attack me you know empathy for their wanting to remain in this duped stage you know either they're duped or dumb or just evil
0: i don't know man you had several people coming to the trial space to physically harass you
1: oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm yeah up to the point of injury i mean one of one of the harassers was pushing so hard into me on the bench in the courtroom and it began with her slamming into me and then pushing me for about six minutes and and then she did the same to my friend Caroline hellman who was with me and Caroline ended up with a bruise on her rib cage so yeah it was very serious and then uh, they took every opportunity to just utter profane insults at us and there are many witnesses to that in the courtroom and in the halls of the Courthouse, as well as outside. I mean, there's video footage of some of the verbal attacks upon me last year, as well as this year. So,
0: I mean, yeah, since the verdict, you've had black people say things to you on the street.
1: Yeah, oh sure. Like what? Oh, you know, lie. Well, can I can I say some of these words? I mean, sure. they're profane. You know, you lying whore, you muddy money hungry slut. Um, four letter words, liar. That's a common one and just uh, a lot of scowls. And, but but I must say that more than that, there are people who approach me really with adulation and, and, and gratitude and hugs, strangers, a lot of survivors, you know, so, but yeah.
0: So and, so you you are activating strangers as you walk down the street to yeah. maybe curse at you or maybe <laughs> leap into your arms <laughs> and say thank you and yeah. I have empathy.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What? Yeah. What a, and gratitude. What a, a lot of a lot of survivors. I just wonder how that feels as an existence of like you're this walking lightning rod that <laughs> some are elated and some are angered and.
1: Yeah, there's much much more elation than anger. So let's get that straight. You know, really? um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting feeling. It's uh, when when the gratitude comes at me, it's a it's a wonderful feeling, which is. Kind of affirms um, that I'm doing that I've done the right thing in speaking out. When the um, people come at me with anger, it causes me sadness. You know, to see. I mean, I understand. I understand the um, their feelings because I was deeply betrayed by a man whom I considered to be a father figure. So, but yeah, you know, it's just really inane and ignorant. Statistically, it's impossible that 62 right. women um, are are. Lying, you know, it's just statistically impossible. the um, the f- forensic psychiatrist, who was the first witness that the prosecution put on the stand, pointed out to us um statistics that were just presented by the FBI, you know how very few uh, rape reports are actually false, and how very few rape survivors even report, because more than 85% of rapists are actually trusted, beloved individuals. And that, you know, creates a lot more difficulty in terms of holding them accountable. You know, someone whom you love and trust when they betray you, it makes things really complicated for the victim.
0: What, I, I just, just one more bit with the folks. What is your response? What are you saying to them when they're either attacking or, or coming with gratitude?
1: Well, when I was in the courtroom and I was being harassed and bullied by these shills, I I ignored them. I mean, I literally did not look at them and I just kept looking straight ahead and I did not give them any energy. I did not engage them because they're a lot like the trolls online when you begin to engage them, you know, they feed off of that attention. So I I ignored them. Um, When people in the street do the same thing, I, I just really ignore them. But when those who come at me with um, expressions of uh, gratitude, I, I pay attention to them, you know, and I hug them. I have to be careful because sometimes it's triggering because they'll talk to me about their own personal trauma in terms of surviving rape and I have to be careful. But, I, you know, I do give them the time and hug them and wish them healing Yeah, you know, pray for them.
0: This is, I mean, this is... <laughs> This is very heavy. I mean, you are wearing all this emotion throughout this. It's, mm-hmm. it, I mean, is it exhausting?
1: <laughs> it is, you know, but I, you know, I can't compare what I'm going through to what Andre Constant went through on that witness stand and the other five victims of Bill Cosby's crimes because they were just attacked on that witness stand. So it's nothing compared to what they went through. And I'm just deeply, deeply grateful for them.
0: Do you want your own day in court or is this sufficient?
1: (laughs) Um, Oh, I would love my own day in court. I mean, sufficient. I would say that it's um, definitely a healing moment for me. So I I don't, you know, I'm barred by the statute of limitations right now. My my husband's a civil rights attorney and he's one of my witnesses because I came home drugged and sexually assaulted to him when he was my boyfriend back in the 1990s. He's got this theory about uh, federally prosecuting bill cosby using the man act mm-hmm. um so you know we're looking into that but um in terms of i don't think i'll ever see a day in court i mean there's definitely nothing um nothing monetarily um, beneficial for me to be doing this i'm actually losing money i haven't been gaining any money i've never been paid for any interviews or any appearances i've done so i'm losing a lot of money but um i mean i don't know i you know what i would I, w- I would like and i don't know if if they're able to do it is if, if during his hearing, his sentencing hearing, if, um, if I could testify and some of the others as well, like they did with Nassar. Did you see what mm-hmm. happened at his mm-hmm. sentencing hearing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love that opportunity. But I think, you know, I've testified a lot in the court of public opinion, and I am deeply grateful for the media and the press, people like you, whom I consider to be the, pillars of democracy and social justice what would you if, th- it if it weren't for you guys none of this would have been happening he would not have been even brought to justice
0: that's true were what it not for you. what mm-hmm. uh what would you say if you were if you had your victim impact statement moment
1: <laughs> oh man there's so many things i would say i would um i don't know you know i would i would i would say that i forgive you bill cosby that I do, um, that um, that I hope that he does apologize to all his victims and confess to his crimes really for the sake of not only his soul but for those who love him and that the loss of his freedom and fortune would really be worth eternity spent in heaven with his two deceased children. Because I say that because t- uh, apologizing and admitted his, admitting his his wrongdoing would of course result in his loss of fortunes because all the civil cases would go forward and and uh, he'd find himself behind bars where he belongs to be. but yeah, I would say that number one, and then I would talk about how much he hurt me, how much he's uh, damaged my life and um, and my family and my children as well i you know I suffer post-traumatic stress disorder like any other war veteran does and I and I liken rape victims to war veterans because the you know not only are our PTSD symptoms the same, but we've had a war waged upon the landscape of our bodies as opposed to the landscape of foreign territories. And um, that's why I you know, wow just need to pause for a little bit. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. You know, when I start talking about the body, I just uh, remember things viscerally. I remember, I guess I would like to talk about um, the attacks. You know, there was more than one. And, and one of the really scary things was the drugging. A lot of people just talk about the rape, but the drugging... Uh, when he drugged and, drugged me and my body became limp and incapacitated and I couldn't you know move my limbs like I normally could. They were like rubber, they, I, my whole body felt heavy. One of my deep concerns was that my heart was gonna stop functioning as my limbs were ceased to function. and I was concerned I was gonna die uh, because of the drugs and what really angered me when I was in the court was when I heard the um, forensic toxicologist whom the prosecutor put on the witness stand state that the reason medications like Benadryl, which are nervous central system suppressants, have this label on the back that says do not mix with alcohol is because when you mix a nervous central nervous system suppressant suppressants such as Benadryl or Quaaludes with alcohol, that can result in death. And so that angers me to think, Of the risk that Bill Cosby so recklessly took in uh, administering drugs to me with alcohol that could have killed me and many others, and it leads me to question um, what is the fatality number in this narrative, if any. Which of Bill Cosby's victims did indeed die from a mixture of Quaaludes or Benadryl and the alcohol? Which with which he you know which he used to administer to them and or who which of his victims ha- may have had an anaphylactic reaction to the to the to the drugs he used or which victim you know did not survive whatever in my case when i was screaming for help he was pushing a pillow in my face to silence my screams and i thought i was going to die of suffocation he finally lifted the pillow off my face and i was able to gasp for air when he ejaculated and so I wonder, did he suffocate any other people to death uh, who may have not um, survived suicide attempts? Because um, after, you know, the trauma, my husband, then boyfriend at the time, we uh, confronted him and he threatened serious consequences to my life, our lives. And he told me horrible things that I um, interpreted as as death threats. And so I became highly suicidal and was on 72-hour holds in hospitals, and those hospital receipts as well as the testimonies of the therapist at that time are part of my witnesses and evidence. But I ask, you know, which of his victims did not survive suicide attempts. So I would like to see that um, part of the narrative investigated because I believe, um, I know that there are way more than 62 people people whom he victimized because i personally know four of his victims who don't want to come forward mm-hmm. and other people know many more it comes with a great burden going forward uh, coming forward against a once beloved iconic celebrity especially as a black woman coming up against a once revered black male icon
0: big burden there how many times did it, uh did it happen
1: did what happen
0: him raping you?
1: He drugged me three times, raped me the first two times, and sexually assaulted me the third time, but it was not until the third time, which happened over a year after the second time that I realized that he was drugging me. I thought the first time um, was uh, that he had given me this Horrible alcoholic drink after um, a big lobster dinner. I thought it was food poisoning because I had had similar symptoms of food poisoning prior to that. The second time, I thought he had accidentally given me a, a glass of alcohol and made me imbibe it really quickly because I don't drink alcohol. And then the third time, which was over a year later, when I when I consumed just enough of the laced sparkling apple cider and the room began to spin as it did over a year ago. That's when I finally put it together that wow. Not only did this, did this man rape me a year prior, but he that it was premeditated, he drugged me, and we had the, a huge blowout, a big confrontation, and that's when I told him that I would go to the police and file a police report against him, that I would go to the hospital, and that's when he told me that as soon As I went to the police, he would go to the police after me and file a police report against me for false accusation and make sure that I end up in prison a long time and that he would sue me. He also said that he would blacklist me and tell all of Hollywood that I was a no-good actress and nothing but a slut and a whore trying to sleep my way to the top. And during this, you know, really... um, very loud confrontation. He also told me that he would erase me, that I better watch my back, that all it takes is one phone call, and so, and that I was dead. I had interpreted those words as death threats, and so I feared for my life.
0: Was it Benadryl?
1: Are you asking me what he gave me? Yeah. He surreptitiously slipped something into my drink when I was not knowing, and I have no idea what he put in my drink. Mm. And what's interesting is that um, when I spoke earlier that his own words convicted him, we heard uh, at the first trial, I attended the first trial as well as this retrial, and we heard Bill Cosby's words under oath read aloud on more than one occasion at each trial uh, during his um, dep- the deposition that he gave for the Andre Conson case. civil case. And in in that deposition, we heard him say um, that he admitted to having procured quaaludes Mm. for the purpose of administering them to women without their knowledge, uh, with the motive of having sex with them, and that he did this to women who have not yet come forward as well. So, I mean, come on, you know, what more do you want? So, But he's a smart man, and and during the deposition, he referred to the drugs as central nervous system suppressants. So, Mm. you know, I'm sure he researched really well what various medicines could do. But whatever the medicine was, it made my body limp. It made my body feel heavy. It made the room spin. It made me go in and out of consciousness um, and just unable to, um, to push him off and to defend myself. And those drugs, uh, I've, I've often likened Bill Cosby to a slaver because those drugs are actually the shackles that he used to detain me against my will, so mm-hmm. that I could serve to him my sex against my will. And this is a form of slavery. He also trafficked me across state grounds on the pretense of meeting producers who would further my career and and you know put me in these places where I knew nobody. You know I didn't know anybody in Las Vegas. I didn't know anybody in Atlantic City. And uh, so it's a form of, of, of slavery, however short, sure, you know, it lasted, but I could not move. He, he held me in bondage and, and, and uh, took my sex without my consent. That's a form of slavery.
0: The interaction was happening because you were an actress on the Cosby Show. You were knowing him. You were talking to him. You were dealing with him because based off of being an actress on the show at that time. Yeah,
1: yeah. All of this happened. He mentored me. Uh, He mentored me generously in in preparation for my guest starring role on The Cosby Show. And during that mentoring, he did what he did to a lot of his victims. He had this M.O. He um, gave me lessons that were really uh, like they were... Academic, intellectual about acting and and the whole acting technique. So he put me through exercises that were that we do in theater classes. He also praised me and lifted me up when we when he introduced me to people, to his peers. Uh, I have um, gosh, maybe forty minutes or so of tape recorded uh, answering answering machine tape recorded conversations with him, where you can hear this grotesque mentoring. It's phony, but it it, it worked really well in um, my gaining his trust and adoration. And he also endeared himself to my family. You know, he invited my dad to the studio. So he met my dad in person. And my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he met him and his grandfather spoke to my mom on the phone. So he did a lot of that to just ingratiate himself, not only to me, but to my whole family, which made it even more difficult to tell my family uh, Hmm. about the, the heinous... Uh, Crimes that he committed against me. Um, So this was this grooming, this grooming, and then he also did gaslighting. Are you familiar with the gaslight movies?
0: Uh, tell me.
1: Well, you know, to during this grooming period in which he gained my trust, he um, there was this one occasion before he drugged me where he was putting me through these breathing exercises, and uh, and he came around behind me and told me to lift up my ribs and expand my diaphragm and breathe deeply. Which was what I was, you know, told to do by my theater professors at Cornell and by Sonia Moore, my acting coach in um, New York City. So it was not uncommon. And also, I had, you know, there were other actors like Bing Rames and Eric LaSalle who would also take me to their homes and and mentor me and help me with my lines. And and so they never, ever once did anything inappropriate with me. So I'm just saying this because it's not uncommon for other you know, celebrity actors to mentor and help young upcoming actors. And so I had been in these positions with other trusted actor friends who were celebrities who helped me. So I was with Bill Cosby and he came around from behind me and told me to lift up my ribcage and project. You know, like I said, Eric LaSalle and Bing Rames had talked to me about projecting before. You know, you have to expand from me and project. And then he came around me and he, Bill Cosby, grabbed my breast. And I turned around really quickly and I said, Mr. C, because he wanted me to call him Mr. C, you grabbed my breast. And I was shocked and astounded. And he saw the horror in my face and he said, no, I didn't grab your breast. I said, Mr. C, you grabbed my breast. And this is after dozens of hours of mentoring already. And and um, schooling in in, in the craft of theater. And I was like, you grabbed my breast. We just kept going back and forth. No, I didn't. And finally he said, I would never do anything like that to you, Bernard. Never. How could you think that of me? And that's gaslighting. And so then I began to doubt myself. Like, wow, you know, how could I think that of him? He said it was accidental that he meant to grab my rib cage. I know now in retrospect that it was a test to see if maybe I would engage in sex with him willingly. And so when he found out that I wouldn't, then he resorted to drugging me. You know, and I don't know. But those are some of the his his mo. And then he also listening to Shaylan Lasha uh, on the stand. She's one of the five prior bad act witnesses, his victims who testified, was particularly difficult because um, the her rape occurred in the same place as. The, the second time Bill Cosby assaulted me, which was in the um, Elvis suite in Las Vegas, and she was describing the suite, and I was remembering, every, envisioning everything. And then she was talking about how he had her slicker hair back. He used to do that to me too. He would always want to see me, you know, with my hair slicked back. You know, and, and then his breathing, and, and and the words that he said were some of the same words that he said to me. So that was really difficult to listen to her. And she's a black woman like me, also fair skinned, and. And then he threatened her to silence with, uh, similar, in a similar way that he threatened me to silence. So, Yeah, he has an M.O. He's a very calculating, manipulative man, and he found that this M.O. worked really well because for five decades he was able to uh, wreak havoc on the lives of so many women with impunity. Yeah, he's a masterful manipulator, wise, very, very intelligent felon.
0: I look back on your appearance um, or your appearances on the show on the Cosby Show, mm. and I was a you know huge fan of the show, and I remember your character, and I wonder if you think the character uh, does not age well in terms of you know they he I'm, he sort of sets you up to be you know the sort of ditzy pregnant oh, person who can't like, and he's like yeah. this, like. Let me tell you what to do. I know how to handle it. And she's like, oh, my God. And I mean, right. I have two children. That. that is not how – my wife was never like, oh, I can't think. She's right. like, she's, I, it's time to go to the hospital. I know what's going on here. <laughs> not mm-hmm. like, ah. So right. I don't know. What do you What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, you don't even know the half of that story, man. So, you know, like as soon as uh, – de- quickly into our relationship, he introduced me to the producers and the writers and the whole crew of the Cosby show and encouraged me to just have free room. So for like a year and a half, 19 months or so, I was um, really learning. It was as if I were taking some kind of a class and and, um, auditing, you know. uh, And so I got to know the people, and he told them that they'd be writing this role for me. So for months he had been telling me that they're writing this role for me and I'd be meeting with the producers. So he wrote that role for me, and and, uh, I had to fight really hard to try to make it – as 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 did see less as possible. He wanted me to do it in a really high pitched voice. I argued about that. He was also so controlling and um, had me hit certain notes. So we had this big argument right before the um, the uh, in the evening dress rehearsal, right before we taped the show the, ne- the, the, the 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 next day, and it was a big blowout. He wanted me to um, go to his house to continue. Um, rehearsing by that time he had already, you know, assaulted me and I told him that I wouldn't. But there was this huge blowout where he was just arguing at me and, and calling me names and and we were arguing about the actual assault. There were uh production assistants who witnessed it, there's one who remembers it. So we were arguing about the assault, how Y would never go there, and he was saying it's not about that. He was saying it's not about me trying to F your A anymore. He was actually yelling that in front of people. It's about you hitting the right notes, Bernard. You're not hitting the right notes. You're supposed to say milk, not milk. I want you to say milk. And he, he told me that if I didn't go to his house that he would fire me, and we had just this major blowout. So it was um, – that whole week, he abused me emotionally deeply because of the confrontations that we were having, you know, about the assaults. And uh, I, again, there were witnesses in the production crew to the to his um, abusive behavior that week. So it was really difficult. It was the most difficult job I ever did. But yeah, the character he tried to make her really did see, I believe, as a as a, as a jab and a stab. And there were some things that he said to me in the lines that were really indicating to me that he was just really trying to, you know, like jab me. And then, what was really um, the, the biggest jab was right after um, I finished the scene in the last taping, because we taped on Thursdays to, twice in the afternoon and then another taping in the evening. And as the uh, audience, and it was a large live audience, was applauding, he said to me with a really malicious. You know, malicious tone, and I'm so glad that the um, the judge and the prosecution got to see his really depraved self when he when he yelled that expletive to the prosecutor in the trial because he was really um, an angry man on the set often. And he said to me at, at the very end of the taping, he said, "Fool them again," mm. as in fool the audience again, mm. you know, into believing that that he is the embodiment of wholesomeness which his fictitious dr huxtable radiates you know he's not he Mm. is a lying coward duplicitous convicted felon so yeah fool them again he said
0: and before you got so close he had to what to him Professionally and whatever else, you he had you fooled. You said you saw oh, him as a father figure. So yeah. Talk about how you saw him before things took this horrible turn.
1: Yeah, well, you know, he preyed upon my vulnerabilities, and one of the things that he made me do was to tell him all about myself. And so I suffered some really serious child abuse when I was a child, and, you know, he knew about it. And so I was looking for a father figure, and I saw him as, you know, the loving and doting father that I never had. And so he prayed upon that. But um, so to me, he was my dad. You know, (laughs) he was like the dad I never had. And he actually looks a bit like my dad. You know, my dad's a black man, too, with moles on his face and also highly charismatic. God rest his soul. Uh, He's changed a lot the last 25 years of his life. My dad was an extremely loving man. You know, he apologized for the abuses. And he was a good man in the last 25 years of my life. But when I met Bill Cosby, he was... My dad was still abusing me, you know, and um, so so Bill Cosby was my father figure, and uh, and that's part of the reason why the betrayal was so deep because I thought that he was, you know, the dad that I never had, and and he would and he would um, he would praise me not just for my acting but for my my painting. You know, I'm a visual artist and I paint, and so he would show off um, my artwork, you know, to other people, and and, and he introduced me to um, Albert Poisson, and his. His colleague who's this psychiatrist from Harvard Harvard, Mm -hmm. and he apparently also went to Cornell and I went to Cornell and then he's Caribbean and I'm Caribbean born. And so he would like just bring me into his cohorts like someone who was important. So I felt so important when I was around Bill Cosby. And then, um, and then intermittently, he would really um, caustically criticize me if I in, during these acting exercises, if I did something bad, you know, like I was just really berate me if I made a mistake in terms of a line being read. So, and that would make me therefore even want his approval even more. He um, in the beginning, when he was trying to fly me all different places, I would never go because um, I had a dog and a cat. And at one point, he told me that if I didn't get rid of my dog and my cat that he would stop mentoring me and because my dog and my cat are more important in my acting career so he made me get rid of my dog and my cat so I you know took them to my parents who were living in Spain at the time and but he was just uh, he was uh, overbearing and uh, one of the things he said to me um, during our uh, confrontation was that if I ever mentioned any that he was going to be watching everything that came out of my mouth and that if I ever said anything bad about him, that he would erase me and that I better watch my back because all it takes is one phone call. And so when people thereafter came to me and asked me, hey, what's it like working on the Cosby show? You know, I mean naturally I couldn't just I, I couldn't just say that, well, he's really a jerk, he raped me because people wouldn't believe me. I did tell my agent at the time, I did tell the therapist at the time, I told trusted friends at the time and the family, but the the average person asking me about Bill Cosby, if I were to say he drugged and raped me, they'd look at me like I was crazy. And when people interviewed me wanting to know what's it like on the Cosby show, I had to think of how could I talk about my experience on the Cosby Show staying true? Because I, I you know I live in truth, I don't lie. Truth is a, a very important part of my being. So I would find other ways to describe working with him, like it was an electric experience, because it was. There were many more people besides Bill Cosby that made up the Cosby show. It was a positive experience in that there were so many black people working on the Cosby show and I'd done other acting work and to be able to be in a studio where you've got Producers and and managers and makeup and hair and wardrobe and actors and editors who are black people that in itself was really exciting and electric. So outside of this evil man at the helm of it was this great um, cast and crew who were mostly black, and that was such an exciting part to be to be. That was so exciting to be able to be a part of that. On top of the fact that the Cosby Show was one of the you know top. Chosen history and that it did so much to uplift the black um, race. And as a black mixed person, you know, um, it's, it's, it's quite like maybe in New Orleans because, you know, my dad's DNA comes out to about 60 percent African and my mom roughly 20 percent. So I'm 40 percent African, according <laughs> to our DNA. But I just say that because in Cuba, it's like, you know, they say, no, you're not black. You're mulata. You're mulata. Right. Mm-hmm. And in America, black. I mean, an American mulata is black, but in Cuba Mulata is mulata. And so my parents have taught me this uh deep racial self hatred, you know. Mm. And Bill Cosby celebrated my blackness. He's like, Yeah, you're Cuban and you're black and and so I was like so proud to be black around Bill Cosby, whereas my Cuban family taught me to be ashamed of my blackness. So mm. that was another another wonderful thing about being around Bill Cosby. So all, you know, all these wonderful memories with Bill Cosby created this terrible cognitive dissonance in my mind that made it really difficult for me to go forward and I therefore became suicidal, you know, I felt like just so deeply betrayed and terrified for my life, you know, I was afraid that he was going to kill me. He never used the word kill, but the words that he used, you know, to me meant that he was going to kill me. Erase you and that I was dead. And all it takes is one phone call and you better watch your back mafiosa
0: words he used when you say suicidal do you mean ideation or do you mean oh no you
1: tried? man I, I attempted suicide oh no 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 my friends and and my husband who was my boyfriend at the time no, they were saving me from you know slitting my wrist with razors finding me on the um i had a, a, a studio apartment in harlem you know and and i had to give my friends my apartment keys that was part of like my, my survival plan that the therapist had for me at the time but no they would find me sitting on the ledge of my um harlem studio apartment with a noose around my neck mm. um tied to the post of my loft bed that i had made they'd see find me you know cutting wrists and so yeah i was sent to the hospital on 72 hour holes and i was hospitalized in 1992 and i have those um records and the, the videotape testimonies of those um, therapists at the time and a lot of evidence <laughs> that I have but I can't do anything with the evidence because of the statute of limitations my I my was just just a few the incident occurred just the one in Atlantic City occur, occurred just a few months outside of the statute of limitations so despite all this evidence I saved and my really highly credible witnesses third party witnesses and my husband who's you know saw me drugged and confronted Bill Cosby with me. They, I can't do anything with that because the statute of limitations, but we did, uh, Cosby survivors, we did get together and we did abolish the statute of limitations on rape prosecution in our home state of California. Mm. And other Cosby survivors have extended them in Nevada and in Colorado, so mm. we're, we're transforming our trauma into triumph for other rape survivors, even though there's no recourse for ourselves.
0: Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer.
1: It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor.
0: I'm Katy Perry.
1: This is the story of the original influencer. This is... Is Elizabeth the First.
0: Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So many things I wanna jump back to. Mm -hmm. I'm still stuck on this moment of him saying to you on the set in front Mm -hmm. of the studio audience, it's not about trying to F you in the A.
1: Yeah, anymore. Oh, no, so it's trying not, to tri- it's f- not trying to. It's, it's this is not about me trying to f your a anymore, Bernard. You're coming to my house right now because you're not hitting the right notes, and and if you don't come, I'll I'll fire you. Oh yeah, what there are the, what there does are, the
0: crew think and say and respond to the yeah. star saying, I'm not trying to fuck you anymore. Right. I'm trying to get the line right. Like, right. wait a minute, what?
1: Right. Well, the um, one of the um production assistants on the Cosby Show, and I'm still friends with a number of them um i i've been for decades i've been friends with them and one of them says that now he he didn't he had no idea what it was all about he did not understand why bill cosby was saying these things to me and why he was yelling and screaming at me because i had been at the studios already for a year and a half and i was part of the the cosby family and he didn't understand why bill cosby was attacking me like that but now it all makes sense he says you know and so many of these um production assistants and stage managers of the cosby show are lauding me and, and loving me and, and thanking me because some, you know, I don't know what they saw, but there were plenty of people who did know, and he was not a nice person on the set. He was a power monger and often had rage, uh, went into rage and had fits, you know. Remember, you? I think recently Lisa Bonet said that he had this sinister element to him, so... But uh, some people did know uh, there were there was a there was a a stand in whom he was abusing, who told me about things that she was going through. And and four out of the four women whom I know, whom he also abused, who don't want to go forward. Two of them are celebrities whose names you would know well if I mentioned to them, them to you. But, um, you know, that's for them to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to disclose if they ever want to.
0: I mean, when you say on set power monger. Yeah. how How does that manifest? he's
1: very quick to temper, you know, if you did anything wrong, he would yell at you and cuss. And he was rageful. And on one occasion I didn't see it, but another production told me that he saw him slam another production assistant against the wall. He was a rageful man. He is rageful. And we, and I'm glad that I can say that uh, with conviction because, um, you know, I had already been compassionately ushered out of the courtroom when we began sobbing at the verdict. But I heard that right after Um, When the prosecutor, when the DA was um, encouraging the judge to withhold his bail because he was a flight risk and he has a plane, he apparently pounced up and yelled, screamed loudly in the third person. He does not have a plane, you A-hole, and really loudly. And so people got to see the real Bill Cosby, the real depraved, you know, sinister evil man that he is he's a shell of a human being
0: it's 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 interesting that there was this rage and this tension on the set because the output was so loving yeah
1: (laughs) it's phony it's fake he's a good actor you know it's like i'm glad you know that all all his pontificating morality and his you know that that People thinking that he is the embodiment of wholesomeness, like the fictitious Dr. Huxtable is just a smokescreen, it's a shield, it's fake and phony, and it's, it's this facade that he created in order that he could continue to rape and drug and, and do so with impunity. Without anyone, you know. So, but but I did see him, you know, buy people's trust and stuff, you know, like people in the studios. He would buy plane tickets for their aunts and uncles or whatever. He, you know, he's a powerful man. And when he, you know, I don't doubt that he, you know, you know, I, I look at the, my the, the the quick shift in my career um, as a result of of the abuse that I incurred. From him, and then also um, maybe he did do what he said he would do, which was blacklist me, because I was I was like really up and coming, you know. I had starred in a BBC film opposite Ving Rhames and Eric LaSalle, and and uh, Daniel Day Lewis's brother Sean Day Lewis wrote a great review on that. I was in, written in Variety magazine for a co-starring role in a CBS Stephen King's Golden Years. I was on Seinfeld, you know, as Kramer's girlfriend, and and my career was going up, but then um, it stopped and and partly also because of the trauma that I was experiencing, the PTSD. You know, I had a lot of triggers. My pillow became my trigger. Running water was a trigger for me because I'd hear running water, and I was reminded how he um, cleaned me, he washed me after he raped me. Uh, When my kids whispered in my ears, it was a trigger for me because after he raped me, he whispered in my ears, you're so strong, Bernard, damn, you're so strong. So the feel of the whispering of my kids' breath against my ears would be a trigger light coming through a, a bathroom door was a trigger. Yeah. He's really altered the course of my life. I'm strong, but, you know, I have... There's this one video of me out there that um, somebody... I don't know. NBC or one of the big networks recorded me. Uh, they, they interviewed me right after Shalon lost testimony, the other black woman who was 17 when Gosby drugged and raped her. And they interviewed me right after that. And you see me really crying and, and crumbled and f- falling apart. So, um, you know, whereas people know me to be a really strong woman, and I am, I have these moments of PTSD that are debilitating at <laughs> times. And thanks to Bill Cosby.
0: Did you know of other women who were in the, in the ecology of the set who were dealing with this as well.
1: Yes, one of them was a stand-in whose name I won't mention because she has not gone public, and -hmm. another one was um, also a a celebrity whose name, a big celebrity whose name I won't mention. Mm -hmm. He introduced me to her when she was 19 years old and I was 26 and asked me to be her mentor, and I mentored her, and, um, and he abused her too. And when I reached out to her in 2014 to see if she would come public, she unfriended me on Facebook. And there are other uh, production, you know. There's uh, the, the majority of production assistants and managers to whom I reached out have been on, from the Cosby Show have been so supportive, and you know, like publicly, public, publicly praising me as a hero and thanking me. Um, but there are a, a small number of them who to whom I reached out, actors on the show, who um, won't answer. You know, and I can understand that. I don't, I don't criticize them for. I don't fault them because. In the end, you know, everybody has to eat, and everybody um, has, you know, they need to work. And so, I don't know. Perhaps Bill. Co- I imagine Bill Cosby is still wielding power in Hollywood. He, there was a row. <laughs> there were a row of men behind him in the in the courthouse who were all about his age, and we called them Perv Row. And we found out that one of them was a big time producer who produced um, some of his movies. So. I don't. I don't. I don't fault these people for not wanting to speak out against Bill Cosby with all the power he wields.
0: You made reference earlier to the extra burden of coming forward as a black woman. Oh and yeah. You are clearly fully aware of the importance and the value that he had to the black community before you know the pound cake speech and everything started yeah. crumbling. Um, what is the extra burden mm-hmm. uh, as a black woman?
1: Well, that's something that, you know, that's, we actually, my husband and I, when I had come home drugged by uh, Bill Cosby uh, to my husband back in, uh, you know, the fall of 1991, after Bill Cosby threatened both of our lives, that's one thing we discussed, you know, that even if we were to uh, call the police and take me to the hospital, like we told Bill Cosby we would before he threatened us, that who would believe us? You know, Bill Cosby kept reminding me that no one will believe you. Uh, And then also what role would we play in terms of, the denigration of the black male or the black family because Bill Cosby clearly did so much, um, whatever his motive, whether it's a, a smokescreen or not, to elevate the status of the black male and the black family. He did that, you know. And um, and so I don't consider myself or the other, you know, 22, first of all, 22 of the 62 of us women are black women. So that's more than a third of Bill Cosby's publicly known, Survivors are black women, and I say black women's lives matter too. But uh, it's an extra burden for us because of the black community who's still duped and enamored by this fictitious Dr. Huxtable. I mean, they're attacking us, and and uh, I don't consider us bringing a a black man down. He's bringing himself down. You know, he has he has eviscerated his own legacy. We have not done that. All we've done is shed the light on the truth. And the truth of the matter is, is that this is not about a black innocent man being wrongfully convicted. Right. It is about a serial rapist being rightfully convicted. It is not about race. It is about rape and that it's high time that black people come and support black women. There are 22 of us, 22 of us, black women whom this man has um, attacked, drugged, and sexually uh, assaulted – at least you know who are strong enough to go public and so you know Bill Cosby his daughters the his um his lawyers and now his wife mm. you know have 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 the audacity to try to use America's history of anti-racism as a shield mm. you know that's disgusting it's just it's i pity the souls of mammy and louis Till, the parents of Emmett Till, mm-hmm. who must be rolling in their graves right now to have um, someone compare and liken their lynched son, Emmett Till, to a serial rapist. It's just disgusting. How low can you go? It's depraved. It's – its I mean, what impudence? It's just – it's disgusting. I, you know what? I, they – Camille Cosby needs to take a trip to the new Legacy Museum in Alabama Mm. and see with her own eyes the injustices of real lynch mobs. But for her and Cosby and all his allies to liken us, the courageous 62 women and 22 of whom are black, rape survivors to thug white supremacist mobsters who target and murder women, men and children. How dare you? How dare you? How low can you go? That's the legacy that Camille Cosby is leaving her for herself. As a woman who is attacking courageous rape survivors, as a black woman who is attacking 22 brave black women rape survivors, that's your legacy, Camille Cosby. And what, you know, with all, you know, her, 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 the words that she used, the rhetoric, wow, the rhetoric in that statement of hers indicates that she's an educated woman, you know, mm-hmm. she was throwing around some good SAT words there. But what it sounds <laughs> like, what it sounds like is a PhD dissertation in revisionist history in how to desecrate the, the souls of our enslaved ancestors and how to spit upon and sully the memory of Emmett Till. That's what it sounds like.
0: Take me back to when you were weighing out, should I say this? Should I go public? And when you, leading up to when you finally decided, yes, I will. And you knew... You know, at, at great personal risk, yeah. you know, perhaps potential physical or life risk. Yes. But you, I, I must. T- why? What, what were you weighing out and why did you finally say, I, I right. must go forward at risk right. to myself? Well,
1: what happened first is because it was clear to me that, you know, Bill Cosby would, that I, I had always paralleled my speaking publicly to my demise, right? I had always thought, well, if I speak publicly, he's going to kill me. So I wouldn't do it. So my husband and I just went on, you know, for 24 four years or whatever um, just putting it behind us and pretending it didn't happen and just you know we gave birth to six children I gave birth to six children in ten years time and we carried on and then when 2014 came and Hannah Barres, you know started this tsunami of women speaking out I just you know the memories that I had Really locked in my brain. I had put these horrific memories into this vault. Like, with just imagine as if it were a vault with a thick steel wall in my brain so that I wouldn't revisit them. I just didn't think about it ever, ever again. My husband and I never talked about it. And then when these women all started coming out, it was like the tsunami broke, like the levee in, in New Orleans broke in, in Katrina, you know, and just flooded my mind with all these horrific memories. And my husband, in his fear, didn't want me to go public. And we were arguing. He's like, you can't do this. It's going to ruin our lives. You're going to be attacked. Remember what he said? You know, remember how he threatened us? And what of our children are going to think that the children are going to be attacked in school? And so So he was saying all these things and and really trying very hard to stop me from going public. And I felt as a visual artist whose artwork is at the core of my artwork is this black feminism. You know, how could I not speak out? How could I not join the women? So if it weren't for these other women who spoke out before me, I never would have found the courage. I went against my husband's wishes. I went against the wishes of some other people who were terrified. And I spoke out. And what made me speak, spoke out was this one moment. My husband and I were arguing. So this was like January of 2015. And I was already sick with the PTSD revisited. I mean I had to go back into the hospital in November of 2014 because of the PTSD uh, uh, disabled me. I was debilitated with uh, – my mind was just perseverating in these flashbacks of Bill Cosby suffocating me, of Bill Cosby raping me, of Bill – you know, of all that was just – I couldn't deal. So I was in the hospital. But when I came out of the hospital um, and, and my son was coming down the stairs when my husband and I were arguing about my wanting to go public. And already um, someone had visited me, a a mutual celebrity friend of – the celebrity friend I have who's also friends with Quincy Jones had visited my house, and she tried to convince me to go public by showing me, for example, a text. She showed me a text that Quincy Jones wrote to her, and in that text it said, I've been telling Bill for years to stop drugging women, and so there were all these women – and, uh, and other Cosby survivors who were trying to encourage me to go public and how important it was for me to go public because I'm a Cosby Show cast member and I'm a black woman and blah, 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 blah. And so I felt this need that I really had to go. But my husband and I were arguing. And as we were arguing, my 17, my seventeen, old, our oldest son, who was 17 at the time, came down the stairs and he overheard us arguing. He's now a junior at Johns Hopkins University. He's On the dean's list, I say this because he's a black man and he's highly successful. He came down as a 17-year-old and said, what? Mom? You mean what they're saying about Bill Cosby is true? I'm like, yes, Rafa, it's true. And you mean you're one of his victims? I said, like, yes, honey. And my husband's face was just turning as red as it can. I mean, he's pretty blue-black, so I guess his face was turning kind of purple, you know, because he, <laughs> he was not expecting that reaction. And Rafa's like, Mom, you've got to testify. Mom, why are you so quiet? Mom, why are you silent? Mom, speak out. you got to speak out, Mom. you got to join those other women and get him behind bars, Mom. Speak out. Speak out. And so this was not the reaction that my husband was expecting, but then my son, you know, he even went on, uh, to help in the end, our End Rape SOL campaign. He came to our first meeting in which we abolished the statute of limitations on rape prosecution. He, he, um, came up with the name End Rape SOL. He came to our rallies. He's been a great supporter. He came on a BBC interview with me and told, you know, the world how he felt, how betrayed he felt as a young black man who grew up on Bill Cosby, you know, on Cosby show reruns to have this man whom he adored on TV uh, have hurt his mom so much. you know. So uh, that was the moment. That was the reason why I came public. But I would not have done it were it not for all these other brave women who came public. I think I was the 47th of the 62 who went public. So if it weren't for these women, there's no way I could have done it. They were the wings beneath my wings.
0: But also your child.
1: My child, Raphael, yeah. He was now 20. I'm so proud of him. Engineering student, Dean's List, Johns Hopkins
0: (laughs) (laughs) University. Uh, uh, allow me to for a moment to go inside your marriage a little bit did your husband support you before you went out or did was he kicking and screaming through to you making the announcement
1: no he didn't doesn't want to you know he still doesn't agree with my having gone public about it you know but that's you know you got to talk to him about that i think he's you know i think he's paralyzed in fear that's my opinion but he is a victim of bill cosby's um crimes as well because Bill Cosby threatened him as well with serious consequences to his life and he's had to see me be in the hospital. He saved you know, my life when I was attempting suicide back in 1992. He had to take care of my six children when I was in the hospital in 2014 over the resurgence of this PTSD, you know, and so, you know, he's experienced a lot of trauma too, but, you know, whatever. No, I, I, um, yeah, I don't have his support about speaking out because he would rather that I that it just like go away. I guess you know. Uh, but a, but a, he is researching that he is researching that theory on how to um, prosecute Bill federally. Uh-huh. So I guess that's that's a the, that's the way he thinks he can help.
0: As a husband, I think about having to carry this baggage as well for two and a half more decades and the baggage is very very heavy and painful for you Mm -hmm. but also for your husband like he couldn't protect you he couldn't save you he couldn't Like i I would feel so in in pain that i couldn't take care of my woman in her moment of greatest need
1: yeah he was young at the time you know he was a second year law school law school student at NYU. He was just 23 when we had this big confrontation with Bill Cosby in which Bill Cosby threatened us. But, um, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I I do believe that my speaking out publicly is one of the most important things I've ever could have done. Outside of giving birth to six children, I would say that it's the seventh most important thing that I've done in my life was to help convict this serial rapist, was to stand, was to sit in that courtroom while Six other women who were also similarly attacked by Bill Cosby to sit in there and give them the support and in my presence while they were being slut shamed and victim blamed and had their characters assassinated by these real machiavellian shark like defense attorneys of Bill Cosby that I was there in that in that audience as a public. You know, looking at their eyes and letting them know that I'm here, I believe them, and they're okay. That's the seventh most important thing I've done in my life outside of giving birth to my six children. You know, and speaking out. Just I've, 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 I've held Bill Cosby accountable through my public speaking, and I will continue to do so.
0: What, what were the further conversations that you had to have with your other five younger Children, how old mm. was your baby at that time? When Rafael seventeen?
1: Yeah, she was six. You know, and I and when I first came public, and I did so through tremendous tears. You know, I'm much stronger than I was back then. Three years ago, I I, I went public more than three years ago. She was six years old, and I mentioned through tears and sobbing that I did this because of her. You know, to make her her community a safer place, her future safer. And, and and this has this guilty, guilty, guilty verdict, which of course arose from the bravery of Andrea Constant and all of the other of the survivors who've supported her has made our community safer places. Because if someone as once revered and powerful as Bill Cosby can be convicted by a jury of his peers, then the average rapist is going mm-hmm. to pause before raping a woman, before attacking women, because they're going to think, wow, if Bill Cosby can be held accountable, maybe I will too. So it's making our communities safer. And that's part of what I feel I'm doing in speaking out is helping to make our communities safer you know, for, for rape victims and not just um, uh, women but men too and children.
0: I mean, you, 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 you folks who are in this horrible sorority – Mm. Had been speaking out, had been saying things here and there. Janice Dickinson, others written it, said it here, but weren't listened to. So that it's a man, Hannibal Burris, who finally (laughs) helps you turn the corner. How do you feel about that? Is it bittersweet that like we have been here talking about this? And finally, when a guy mentions it, then you guys all listen? Tere, you are so
1: sensitive, my brother. Yes, that's exactly how it is. And that's just a reflection of society, you know, and, and the legal system. The legal system was light years behind modern culture before this Me Too movement, before this guilty guilty. guilty, guilty verdict, and that's just a reflection of patriarchy, and the justice system protects patriarchy. I think there are a lot of laws, like these prejudicial laws that need to be changed in order for us to have a legal system that does protect women and believes women, but yeah, that's just, that's just patriarchy 101, man, you know, that's just... This goes back to Christopher Columbus, fourteen ninety two. Yeah, that's all that is. But I'm, hey, heard, but I'm grateful to Hannibal Barres, and, and heard, what it must have meant for him to be a brother to, to call another brother out.
0: Yeah, and, a, and a, well, in a comment, I mean, when you when you heard what he had said and mm. you saw it start to reverberate through the culture, um, were you? Did that trigger you? Yeah, yeah, it
1: it triggered tremendous fear because like I told you, it just made this tsunami of memories bust out of this safety vault that I had in my head in which I, Mm. you know, which I had hoarded all these horrible memories. So it made that
0: bust open. What does eating healthy mean to you? From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ben and I just, you know, I just started experiencing all this visceral body memory, like my muscles and my nerves started remembering, you know, the the feeling of the man's po- body inside of me, his breath in my ear, his sweat on my chest, his the stink and the smell of his cigar breath, and and, and and it triggered me. I must say, however, that's what that happened. I was also I, I also was fearful because I knew it meant I'd have to come public now because of the kind of person I am. I'm, I'm ultimately a strong person. I'd have to face him, but I do want to say that um, here we are now. That's we're more than three years after that. I'm in the courtroom with Bill Cosby. Three weeks this time, and then um, two weeks last year. That. Um, Bill, there were many moments where Bill Cosby passed by me within inches. I could have reached my hand out and touched him had I wanted to, but I didn't. And I smelled, I could smell as he passed by me in the courtroom last month, I could smell his disgusting tobacco breath and his body odor and his raunchy cologne. And and, and it did trigger this muscle memory, you know. I—I I, It brought me right back to the rape scene in, in the 1990s, but my heart didn't quicken, my breath didn't, you know, my breath didn't change, my knees didn't wobble, and I was able to stand firm and and feel really strong and look at him as being disempowered. So that was an indication that, you know, being at the trial, speaking out, is was a right thing to do for myself personally, not just for other rape survivors.
0: A lot of your children had not had sexual education before yeah. this started. <laughs> So what was, I, I just want to go a little more, what was the conversation with what, yeah. the ones in six-year-old, the middle, between the six-year-old and the 17-year-old? Yeah, but, you know,
1: they all go to Catholic schools. So in Catholic schools, <laughs> they teach them quite a bit in Catholic You would be surprised what okay. Catholic school kids know. But with the six-year-old daughter, she's my only daughter, and I have five older sons. With her, it was that Bill Cosby hurt mommy really badly. You know, and then that was when she was six, that Bill Cosby just hurt mommy really badly. When she got to be seven or eight, I could say he hurt mommy really badly in the private parts. Um, There's been a great sisterhood that's surfaced from this, you know. And so when a lot of these Cosby survivors come to my house and she'd meet them and and I'd say, oh, this Miss Linda or Miss Victoria or Miss Barbara, another Cosby survivor, she said, when she was seven, she said this, how many women can one man hurt? You Mm. know, Um, the older ones, um, they did know what rape was and it was very difficult for them to process and it just – caused a lot of you know angry feelings and and confusion too because you know like i said they grew up on cosby show reruns and at one point my husband's brother gave them like the whole fat albert dvd set mm. so it was really hard for me to allow them to watch fat albert sometimes i would tell them not to watch it and like why not mommy why not and i'm like oh just you know and i'm like he's just not a good man i'm like what do you mean he's not a good man what do you mean mom you're tripping you're tripping i'm mm. like no he's not a good man you know Mm. so yeah it was difficult for them but they are man when I came back from the trial this time they were just rejoicing we were jumping up and d- I'm going to put some videos up on my Facebook so you can see they have been dancing and jumping up and down still they're just so proud of their mama they're so proud of their mama and their friends are proud of me so they're just so happy and proud Is this their reaction is not what my husband thought that they'd be afraid and, and, and fearful and attacked by their friends it's been just the opposite
0: and you're proud of yourself
1: yeah, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy that I could help. I'm happy that I could be a little piece of the puzzle of the equation. You know, of the because this is a social justice moment, and um, and I'm just glad to help. You know, to help empower other rape victims, male and female, to be part of a really good thing. And I'm just praying for for uh, the rest of, of of Black America. You know, to wake up, to get woke. You know, to get woke, and to and to look at the 22 of us Black women. Uh, survivors of Bill Cosby's drug facilitated sexual crimes and to love and support us, you know, and to not be frozen and duped by this fictitious character and his, his, you know, phony philanthropy. Smokescreens. Do
0: you need, do you want to see him go to prison?
1: Yes, I want to see him go to prison because he deserves to be in prison. It's important that he goes to prison because if he doesn't go to prison, that's going to send a real mixed message to the powerful perpetrators. It's one of the things that my, my my daughter, my six year old then six year old daughter said when we were working on the statute of limitations um, to abolish them in, in California, which we did successfully. And she came to a lot of the meetings with me when we finally abolished them, and and it went into effect in January 2017 in California. She was rejoicing with us that there were no more time limits now on rape prosecution. But she said, you know what, Mommy? Now the next thing you got to do, you guys have to now work on a law that says no matter how much money you have, it's not going to keep you out of jail if you're a rapist, right? (laughs) And (laughs) so if Bill Cosby were not to see a day inside a prison cell, what that would send a message to people like Harvey Weinstein or other rich, powerful predators is like, okay, you know, you might end up convicted, but you know what? You can still, because your money, you know, you can drop that million dollars a bail or whatever, or, or come up with some lame excuse about being blind when in actuality you only have cataracts over one of your eyes and you can still spend the rest of your life lying on your cushy couch, eating caviar, you know, and watching your, your victims call you out on TV while you got a little ankle bracelet on, you know, but you're still going to be free. Because you got your mansion, you know, and that's not right. He should be in the slammer with four wall, looking at four walls really close to his face and deprived of all of his human luxuries. Uh, not just because he deserves that crime, not just because he wreaked havoc on the lives of so many women because he's damaged dozens and dozens of women's lives, but also because um, it would set precedent. You know, it would cause other rapists uh, who have power to pause and, and, and to, to let them know that there is accountability. He should not be privileged just because of the money that he has and the fame.
0: Were you disappointed to see him go home?
1: Yes, I was. Were you
0: confused?
1: I was confused. <laughs> this is just judges great by the way. I mean the prosecution is badass. That Kristen Fedden, she's a like a thirty five year old black prosecutor. Oh my God, if that if that trial was videotaped it would have been like a viral moment. Cause she she was just like an amazing – she was like Oya Yansa, you know the Orisha Oya Yansa, Uh who wields tornadoes. She was like Oya Yansa, man, Uh, yoruba deity, and um, she was fierce. The prosecution, they were all fierce. The judge was fierce. He was so righteous. He was so um, strong and impartial, you know. And I just hope that uh, the sentence that he does uh, place upon Bill Cosby will will echo with, you know, the rest of his behavior during the trial. He was just righteous and he was impartial. He was stern to both parties. He he uh, was a man who just was really upholding the law, and uh, I just hope he does the right thing. I imagine that there will be, um, uh, I imagine that the fact that Bill Cosby um, doesn't have, has never been convicted of, of past crimes will, will maybe lessen his sentence, but my gosh, you know, these are some of the laws that need to be changed you
0: know you are beyond all this you are a visual artist yeah how has this trauma infected your art
1: well before i um before i came public about bill cosby the way that i would address the violence and oppression of women is by just making a lot of paintings of slavery you look at some paintings i make about slavery and the reason for that is that i've always you know paralleled bill cosby to being a slaver you know, how he shackled me and others with incapacitating drugs, forcing us to serve our sex to him, you know, detaining us against our wills, you know, trafficking us against state lines. And then he'd leave money, you know, like when when I woke up from the um, the drugged rape, there was like money next to my neatly folded clothes. So there was these transactions, you know, of silence. And and so um, I would I did. Sl- Paintings. I still do paintings of slavery to disguise myself in the trauma of my enslaved masters because rape, and rape is uh, it it is the the linchpin of colonization. It is the crime that was used to subdue whole nations, whole territories. You know, and so. uh, But now, since coming out, I've been able to actually directly reference Bill Cosby in some of my work. I don't like to put his ugly mug in there. You know, like sometimes I I I make him kind of like decapitated. You know. But, um, yeah, he's there now. Uh, you know, I might reference him in, in the Dr. Huxtable sh- um, sweaters and stuff. But when I do put him in art, it tends to be really gory because the the rape was really violent. You know, it was violent rape. And so, um, but, yeah, it's given me this freedom now. I can talk about something that I was too terrified to talk about before, you know. And so it's healing for me too my art is um, healing it's difficult now because before when you'd google my name you'd see my artwork because I'm quite respected as a, as an artist uh, but now you google my name and you see this ugly man with moles on his face who's a rapist convicted rapist but that's, mm. the, that's part of the burden that I have to bear but it's worth uh, it it's worth
0: it is there anything else you want to say?
1: Oh, no, I really thank you guys so much. I just think I want to shame on Camille Cosby for also attacking the media because, you know, without you, the civil rights movement would not have been won as swiftly as it was. So uh, shame on you, Camille Cosby, you know, for attacking the media. You guys are the pillars of social justice and democracy. You know, and shame on you, Camille Cosby, for attacking 62 courageous rape survivors, 22 of whom are black women. And shame on you, Camille Cosby, for trying to use the... Um, you know, the hor- the horrific past of the United States, the anti-racist past of the United States as a shield to protect your your evil, disgusting, convicted, serial rapist husband. That's your legacy.
0: How could she know nothing? Oh,
1: she knows. Hey, all I'm going to say, there's a lot of hearsay on that. You know, but she knew. And if you knew, <laughs> there's hearsay.
0: If we accept that she knew, <laughs> that is mind-blowing. How would she not stop it? Like, you're going to ruin everything we have. You're killing these people. Like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, and
1: she's giving fuel and uh, to all these black people who have been attacking me and my survivor sister. She's empowering um, these duped or dumb or evil people who are attacking us rape survivors of Bill Cosby, so she's doing a lot of damage, and um, clearly she's complicit and clearly she's enabling, and uh, she could be doing so much good were she just to just, uh, you know, not defend her convicted rapist serial husband and turn it around and show support for his victims.
0: I have chills. Is she inspiring or what? Is she a survivor or what? Lily Bernard is amazing. When she said Cosby was like a slaver who chained her body with chemicals instead of chains, that killed me. Thanks to Lily for telling us your story. And thanks to you for listening. I'm on Twitter at Tore and on Instagram at Toray Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Toray Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Chris Colbert and Chris Basil with help from Shelby Royston, William Jolly, Candid Nicole, Cadence 13, and of course our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. Next Wednesday, we've got Arlen... Hamilton, the coolest and most inspiring venture capitalist you'll ever meet. If you want to learn how to make millions or how to steal white privilege or how to break into the secretive world of venture capital, then you've got to listen to this. Thanks for listening to Toray Show.